1: Welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne, and this is an independent England football supporters podcast that aims to look at all things England. Be it the men's senior team, the youth side, speaking with players who have represented the Three Lions over the years, hearing from fans and some of the journeys they too have been on over the years, and also the Lionesses. And this episode, that is where our focus lies, because this year, July 2022, the Women's European Championships will take place here in England. It was originally due to take place in 2021, but shifted a year due to the global coronavirus pandemic. And if you cast your mind back, you may remember that the current holders are the Netherlands, after they won it on home soil back in 2017. But we'll get on to that shortly. This will be the 13th European tournament of its kind, after starting back in 1984. Since 1997, it has been played every four years, in the same way the men's competition is. Obviously, with the exception of this tournament and the Covid issue. England have qualified for the tournament on eight occasions and been runners-up twice. First in its debut year, then in 2009, when it was hosted by Finland and where Germany beat us in the final. Speaking of Germany, they have been the dominant team in the competition over the years with eight titles and one runners-up to their name. So the aim of this episode is to give you a little history lesson of england's women at the euros with the help of a couple of the players who took part
2: 1984
1: let's start in the competition's formative year 1984 this and the following five tournaments only included four teams. 84 featured England, Denmark, Sweden and Italy. England at the time were managed by Martin Regan. The competition, basically following a qualification period, went straight to a two-legged semi-final, then a final, which again was two-legged. Now, rather than me tell you about it, Let's speak with someone who was there. I'd like to welcome back to the Three Lions podcast, Jill Coulthard, former England women's captain. And a, I should say, Jill Coulthard, MBE. Hello there. You all right?
3: Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. And you?
1: Yes, I'm very well. Thank you. And thanks for joining us again. I know we spoke We spoke a little while back about the World Cups, I think it was. Yeah, that's
3: right. It's, yeah, So it's nice to be back on and... Uh... Obviously, well, looking
1: forward to the chat. Yeah, well, well, this time we're talking European Championships, and I think it's important this one because this we're going to push your mind back a little bit back to nineteen eighty four, uh, which was, although technically I don't think a UEFA competition back then, it was one of the the first European Championships and a very important one for England. But just to to set the the context of it all, it was. Like, uh, if you imagine the the Nations League is now, um, it was four teams who played in the finals that had qualified to get there. This was after a 16-team qualification period of four groups of four. England qualified top of Group 2, which was almost a home nations group, which comprised of Scotland, the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. We played six, we won six, scored 24 and only conceded one. Uh, And that would take us through to this European Championships finals of 1984. Were were you part of the the qualification period there?
3: Yeah, I went went all the way through, Uh, to be honest. That was my first really tournament um, football I played in. Uh, I think I was 18 at the time. So, yeah, I was a bit of a young whippersnapper then uh, but yeah it was um you know it, it was unbelievable really because i think in in our in my era of football you know for for women to play football it was a big thing but to compete in a in a european finals is it's something different and by the way we only played we played with a size four football so that was unique in itself
1: and as uh, well, weren't the weren't the matches only thirty five minutes each way?
3: Yeah, thirty five minutes each way. So we, we've actually come a long way to get mm. to get equal opportunities, haven't we? Of size size footballs yeah. and obviously ninety minutes. So yeah, I'm really pleased in a way because as much as it has been the forgotten one, it has been officially now said that it was a European Championship. So you know that's why we're looking at 1984 you know for us to remember the first time that England had got to a European final whether whether or not some people said it wasn't recognized as, as a UEFA tournament or not you can't take that history away it's in black and white so we can clear that issue up but what an experience
1: yeah too right well the four teams that qualified for the finals were ourselves England Italy Denmark and Sweden and the first semi finals paired us up against Denmark and these were over two legs, played them at Gresty Road in crew back on the eighth of April. Give us your memories yeah. on that one.
3: Yeah, we, we played at Gresty Road. Um obviously it was nice to play up, up up in the north. I think did we win did we win two one or two three one? one or- Two yeah, 2-1. One. One. So was a great, a great result to take over there, especially winning on home soil. But we were under no, no illusions of, of obviously going over to Denmark and getting a result because, you know, at that time, women's football in Scandinavia was really strong. So we were under no illusions. We were just, you know, fortunate that we got the win, uh, L to get the win. And then uh, obviously we went over there for the return leg and uh, we won 1-0. So that, that put us in the final. And I, I don't think... We ever thought of you know what the feat that we have made to get into European final, you know we, they can't take that away from the likes of me and obviously the players like Carol Thomas, the ex England captain. You know it's there, it's written, it's written in the history book. So for that to happen is, is is well brilliant at my time of my career because I was just starting my career. So,
1: so did you know when you you'd beaten Denmark in in Denmark? Well, what was the feeling? of getting to the final? Um,
3: I don't know, really, because in those days, we the England trips that we went on, you know, to go over to Denmark, we we travelled on a Friday, played the game on Saturday, came back on Sunday and was at work on the Monday. <laughs> so it was like a fish bash bosh type thing, all crammed into a little weekend. So, yeah, yeah, you know, when we'd qualified and everything, we were ecstatic. And I think then the hard work started for what was then the WFA and, and Linda Whited and co to so obviously seek the venue for a final, to get us some kind of sponsorship, to be longer together before we played the final. So in a way it was good for us, but in a way for the likes of those people that looked after us, it was a complete nightmare because we were trying to pinch pinch money, Rob Peter to pay Paul to get us a, a accommodation and, and things like that. So it's a bit weird compared to what it is now.
1: Yeah. Mm. So the other game sweden beat italy to uh, to join you in the final and once again this these were played over two legs now the the first leg was played in may, 12th of may over in sweden in the Ulvi stadium in gothenburg
3: yeah, um, it's funny you say that because I've, I've, had, I've had something pop up on my uh, iPad this morning, and it's actually a clip from that game. Oh. and I watched it a little bit, and, I, and I, it was from I think it was from YouTube or UEFA. I, I sat and watched it for a little bit, and I just thought, wow, you know, to play in a final for Doncaster Bells in an FA Cup is, is a mean feat, but to play and represent your country in a, in a UEFA final is, is another, really, to be honest. And yeah, we were fortunate over there, you know. Um I think they hit the post twice, uh, but you know, we're, we're a resolute team. We, we're all together as as players and and things. And I think because of the the background of the WFA that was in in my time, I think it made us closer together and stronger. Right. So we knew that if we we go back to England and we'd only got a goal, we knew that we could you know, hopefully um, get it back to maybe a draw or maybe go on and win it. And then, obviously, that 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 that's what we had to do.
1: That's right, because over in Sweden, it was Piersundar scored the only goal at uh, the game. So Sweden won that one 1-0. So you, although you say you came away knowing what you had to do in the next game, you're obviously unfazed by it, were you?
3: I suppose for me as a as a person, yes I was because I was the I was the youngest in the squad. So, you know, being 18, you don't really fear anything. I don't think it's like any footballer, you know, if they're young enough, they're good enough. So, you know, they don't have no fear at that age. So for me it was just like just playing another match. Whether it was the same for the for the older end likes of your Liz Degans, your Carol Thomas, your Lorraine Dobbs, and to name a few, yeah. whether it was different for them, I don't really know. But I was just, you know, just going to play another football match.
1: Well, that, that second leg was played in Luton, played at Luton Towns Kenilworth Road, which was a stadium. It's a it's a tiny little stadium for people that have not been there, not aware of it. Um, it's it's slightly changed since uh, the game back then, but it was a ground that at a time had an artificial pitch, a plastic pitch, but I've got a feeling this one, your game, was certainly not played on a plastic pitch.
3: No, it was like a river.
1: It, I mean, it just looked a cold, wet, damp, horrible day.
3: Yeah, it was. I mean, it, I think we met up on the Friday, the Friday evening. We Don't forget, again, we played on the Sunday. Um, so we only had really the evening and the Saturday to, to prepare for the game. And um, it never stopped raining. And it was probably in the balance of whether or not the game would be played. And then obviously then there was problems. Well, will we have to play it the next day? That caused problems then for people who had to go back to work and <laughs> would they get paid and, one thing and another and anyway eventually went on uh, went ahead and well it, it it probably helped us because you know we're used to playing on pitches like that in 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 the grounds and the the pitches that we played on so so it helped us a little bit it obviously restricted the Swedes um and then we got the uh, the goal that gave us a one-one and obviously it went to uh, to penalties.
1: That's right. It so, was Linda Curl got the the goal there yeah. to take it to one all. Now, under normal circumstances, the game had ended one one on aggregate. Under normal circumstances, it would go to extra time, but there wasn't any back then.
3: No, it was straight penalties again. Again, rules totally different to to what what it is now. And you know, in a way, I, I think all players on the field that day were glad that it never did because the amount, obviously. I don't think you could find a blade of grass. It was that bad. Um, it wasn't a great advert for for us as a as a nation to to have the final and play. It, no, obviously, it wasn't their fault. Obviously, the ground, but um, you know the weather didn't help. So it wasn't a great spectacle of trying to play football as a case of can you get the ball forward as quick as you can, missing out the the midfield and get it into final third. So. So yeah, yeah, and then it, obviously we went down to the to the penalty shootout.
1: What was your feelings with a penalty shootout? Well,
3: we- it's, it's a lottery, you know. You you can't if players step up and they want to take a penalty, let them take it. If players don't want to do it, then that's fine. But obviously, we we had to name five players, so um, you know those five players. We said, you know, if people missed, it wasn't. You know, we've had a fantastic run. We've reached a final, so there's no no hardship on those. And I, th- I think it takes a lot to step up to take a penalty. To be honest,
1: You're right? Were you keen to? I know you didn't take a penalty, but did you consider yourself capable of taking? Yeah, yeah
3: because I think I was a fifth one. I'm not so sure because I think we missed, didn't we? So it didn't get to the fifth person. I don't think. I can't remember.
1: I'm just looking. <laughs> we we lost four three. Um, no five five England players took the penalties. There was Curl, Gallimore, Bampton, Hanson, Davis. Curl yeah. and Hanson yeah. missed theirs. I
3: think, think I was the sixth one that if it went that way. So but you know, it, it's you know, there was no there was no untoward or anything. We we enjoyed the night, what we could enjoy, and then and we're back to work on the Monday, so you couldn't even reflect on what you'd done. <laughs>
1: Oh, amazing times!
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird, weird. Now, when you look now of how much preparation there is going into an in- international tournament and how many days. I mean, when we went to the World Cup in '95, I think there was only two days between each game. When you look now, it, it's totally changed. I think it's four days between each game.
1: Yeah. Yeah, with, yeah. With a so, considerable more amount of teams as well.
3: Yeah, that's right. So, you know, what, what we did was no mean feat and under the circumstances of, obviously, sponsorship and, you know, the WFA not having a lot of uh, money and likes of your Pat Gregory's and your Linda Whiteheads your June Jacobs, who, who were the main three in the in, the, in the group, that, uh, you know, for and and Tooth to provide or get us anything that she could get on and, you know, and even to get a kit, you know, begging to go to sponsors, you know, to get a kit for the for the final. It was, uh, it was, you know, it was it was great times. Even though I look back now, and think, wow.
1: What are your your thoughts looking ahead now? With obviously the the European Championships once again being held in England, Serena Feigman's now in charge of the the Lionesses. How how do you feel about the the tournament this year for England's chances?
3: I think to be honest, you know, I think this is the second time now with the tournament, and you know, we learn we learn from from each time you, you you host one. And the good thing is, is that you know, the WSL is doing fantastic. It's it's obviously bringing quality players into the league. Our players are uh, are learning from the overseas players, which sometimes it, it, it does grate me to say that you know I'd like to have a bit of a restriction on those players coming in because. I think it will at some point, you know, all the young players that are coming in, they want to play football, and you know, it's it, it's maybe having a bit of a, a bit of a um, effect on our national team. And you know, at the end of the day, I think all the money now that we've got, we've got the St. George's Park facility, and you've got everything that the players need. They don't want for anything. You know, there's no excuses now. We we, we should be able to go on, and and hopefully this year we, we go that step further and. And pick that silverware up because you know it's it's been a long time coming. You know, like I say, from from 1984 all the way now to to, to this year, it's it's a long time coming. And there's lots of those players now in, in in the squad that you know this might be the last opportunity for them to to get their hands on 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 you know some uh, some silverware. Whether you know, well let's hope It's the winners' medal.
1: Let's hope so. It'd be a great way to uh, to round mm-hmm. off the summer with a uh, European Championships win on home soil. Jill, thank you very much for, for taking the time to chat to us and, and just reminiscing about 1984.
3: Cheers, Russell. Thank you.
1: My thanks go to Jill there. Penalties. When you think of England and penalties, you immediately think of the men at Italia 90, Euro 96, France 98. But the girls... Well, they were there first. And despite the result not going our way, that first tournament, as Jill said, was highly important and mustn't be forgotten.
2: 1987, Norway.
1: Once again, Martin Regan was in charge. Now... Instead of being held across the best part of four weeks and four countries, like 1984 was, UEFA decided to hold the final tournament solely in Norway from the 11th till the 14th of June. This time, it was a straight semi-final, final final, and third and fourth place. To get there, again, there were 16 teams across four groups – England, again, topping the Great Britain and Ireland group, again winning 6 out of 6, this time scoring 34 and conceding 2. This included a 10-0 victory over Northern Ireland. In the semi-final, England were drawn against Sweden, who, as we've just spoken with Jill Coulthard about, had beaten them in the final two years previous. Sweden took the honours again, and made their way to the final, winning 3-2 in extra time. Which, extra time, had been added this year. Jackie Sherard and Kerry Davis had scored, putting England 2-1 up at half-time. But it wasn't to be. It would be Italy in the third and fourth place two days later. Kerry Davis again scoring early in the fourth minute from the spot only for Italy to score either side of half-time to record a 2-1 victory. The result meant that England would finish fourth. Sweden, though, they would go on to lose the final against the hosts, Norway.
2: 1989 West Germany
1: 1989 Again, with Martin Regan at the helm. This time, the qualification tournament was shaken up a bit in comparison to the previous two. There was no Great Britain and Ireland group. Instead, England were drawn with Denmark, Norway and Finland. They finished third, only winning twice, drawing once and losing three times. And I say it was shaken up the top two teams in each group were then drawn together in a quarter-final of which the four winners would go forwards to the finals. Those finalists would be West Germany, Italy, Sweden and Norway. This was where West Germany or Germany's domination of the tournament would begin beating Norway in the final.
2: 1991
1: Denmark 1991 would be Martin Regan's last euros this tournament was held in Denmark qualification this time had 5 groups and again with the quarter final system to provide the last four teams to compete in the finals england were drawn in with norway who included in one of their meetings a certain Hagarisa, who would go on to manage England in a caretaker capacity. Also in the group were Finland and Belgium. The girls, well, they would come second in the group with seven points and they made their way to the quarterfinals, where they were drawn against a now unified Germany. The first leg, played at Wickham Wanderers Adams Park, saw them lose 4-1. Karen Walker getting England's only goal. A second leg that was played in Bochum with 3,000 fans in attendance. Germany won 2-0 and England were out. Germany, along with Norway, Italy and Denmark, would progress to the finals. Where Germany would beat Norway in the final for the second time.
2: 1993 Italy.
1: Once again, qualification was changed, with now 23 nations looking to qualify. Groups were made up of seven groups of three and one group of two, with the winners of each group making up the quarterfinals. England, who were now managed by Ted Copeland, topped Group 3, with four wins out of four, beating Iceland and Scotland both home and away. They were drawn against Italy in the quarter-finals. Away first, they lost 3-2. Hopes of turning that deficit round were dashed as they went down 3-0 in the second leg at Rotherham's Millmore, losing 6-2 on aggregate and not making the finals. As in 1991... Italy, Norway, Denmark and Germany all qualified. This time, Norway beat Italy in the final, taking the trophy for the second time.
2: 1995
1: 29 teams now contested the qualifying. The competition was getting bigger. Wales had also now entered. England, again under Ted Copeland, were in Group 7 alongside Spain, Belgium and Slovenia. They topped the group with 4 wins and 2 draws. This was a group where Slovenia were definitely the whipping girls. England beating them home and away, 10-0 on both occasions. Spain would beat them 17-0. Overall, they conceded 60 goals, unsurprisingly finishing bottom of the group and sadly not scoring once. England made their way to the quarterfinals, meeting Iceland, winning 2-1 in Reykjavik and 2-1 at Brighton's old Goldstone ground. They'd finally made it to the final four for the first time since 1987, along with Germany, Norway, And Sweden. They all went to the finals, which, like the original format, the semi finals were played home and away. Whilst it was a 1995 finals tournament, England's first game was played in December of 1994. And despite taking the lead, they lost 4 1 at home to Germany at Watford's Vicarage Road. The second leg played in February the following year away in Bochum, again taking the lead, although they would lose 2-1. Karen Farley getting England's goals in both legs. Germany, where they would meet Sweden in the final, beating them 3-2 to take their third title. 1997 Norway and Sweden 1997. Again, another change. The finals would be an eight team, two group format held between Norway and Sweden. Qualifying? Well, that was also another complicated matter. The first placed of the group stage qualified directly and the second placed and the third placed teams played in two playoff matches for the four other berths. England, in Group 3, finished in second place, a point behind Italy, with four wins, one draw and one defeat. And it meant that they went into the playoffs where they were drawn against Spain. They lost 2-1 in the first leg, then drew one all at Prenton Park, meaning they wouldn't make the finals. And it was the finals that Germany, once again, would eventually win.
2: 2001 Germany
1: The competition had taken a break for four years to now become the format we know in the calendar. Hosted by Germany again, but England were now led by Hope Powell, the first female to hold that position. Qualification was assured after finishing second in Group 2 behind Norway, with three wins, a draw and two defeats, which included an 8-0 loss to the Norwegians. Finishing second meant that the only route to the finals was via the playoffs. Late October in 2000, England played Ukraine in a two-legged playoff. Kelly Smith and Karen Walker scored in a 2-1 away win before winning 2-0 almost a month later at Leighton Orient's Brisbane Road. Sue Smith and Rachel Yankee with the goals in a 4-1 aggregate win. England were back in the finals the following year. However, it was all a bit of a disaster as they were drawn in Group 1 with Germany, Sweden and Russia. They finished bottom, losing to both Sweden and Germany and drawing with Russia and only scoring once in the three games.
2: 2005 England
1: Four years on from the disaster in Germany, the tournament was now to be held in England for the first time so no qualification was required. With Hope Powell still in charge, England were drawn in an all-Nordic group alongside Sweden, Finland and Denmark. Norway, they would be in Group B alongside Germany, Italy and France. The tournament was very much Northern England based, with five stadiums being used. Bloomfield Road, Blackpool, City of Manchester Stadium, Deepdale in Preston, the Halliwell Stadium in Warrington and the final being played at Blackburn Rovers Ewood Park. England won their first game in front of 29,000 fans against Finland, winning 3-2, Karen Carney scoring an injury time winner. However, it didn't get any better than that as they would go on to lose to Denmark and Sweden. And finish bottom of the group. Once again. Germany would go on to win the final. Again. Beating Norway. And here to tell us some more about that time. Is goalkeeper. From the England squad. Joe Fletcher. So. We're on to 2005. We welcomed the European Championships to England, Uh, so there's no qualification required this time around. Um, I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast, goalkeeper from that squad, Joe Fletcher.
0: Hi Russell, how are you doing?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Yourself?
0: Yeah, good, thank you.
1: Welcome along to the the Three Lions podcast. It was... um, just looking to get a uh, sort of a a feel for what it was like back then when the uh, when the Euros came to England for the England women's side what what do you remember back then?
0: Yeah it was good I mean we had a fab run up to the tournament we were in amazing form really so it's quite exciting for us that that it was coming to England and to the northwest as well because I was from the obviously from the northwest so they were all sort of local grounds to me and a few of the other players so yeah it was super exciting and obviously we hadn't qualified for for sort of some previous ones and uh, and so cuz it was in our country we didn't have to qualify so so it was quite nice and exciting to to take part in it
1: do you remember what the sort of the feeling was like 4 years previous because it it wasn't a a happy time really back then because uh, the it, the tournament had been played in Germany and and England hadn't done particularly well had they
0: no, and I, it was kind of so. I went to America on a soccer scholarship. I kind of followed Rachel Brown out there. So Uh, Though I'd been in like the under eighteen squad and sort of the fringes of the senior squads, I was away sort of that whole period, so I kind of missed, uh, I missed sort of that element of it. But I know when I kind of came back into the squad after I'd come back, there was that little bit of pressure to uh, to perform well because we had done so badly in previous tournaments, and like I said, and we'd done so well in sort of the run up to it as well.
1: Yeah, the run up, um, you were. Quite consistent in in playing there. We played Italy, where where you made your debut at the the National Hockey Stadium in Milton Keynes uh-huh. of all places. Um, I, I
0: know. Do you know what? I didn't I? Didn't know I was going to start that game at the time. And um and you obviously go to the training camps, and you know you have three, four, five days before the sort of game, uh which I think was on the was it on the Saturday, or was it? No, it was a midweek, wasn't it? It was a night game, right? And uh, and so you kind of get a sort of feel, and and you you know getting towards the game you'd play starters against non-starters and I was kind of thinking oh this is a bit weird like why am I why am I with the starters and you know and then eventually it kind of every time you sort of getting picked with the starters I was thinking oh I think I might be playing this one oh, wow. um, so yeah so it was it, it was really odd and then um, we obviously won 4-1 in that game and I think um, Emily Westwood made her debut I think Karen Carney might have done as well Yes. Um, so there was um, there was a little cluster of us, and uh, and then yeah, kind of never let, lost my place in the team. And I seemed to play, I seemed to be playing better for England than I was for my club. So I was kind of like thriving um, in that sort of environment. So yeah, it was amazing. I remember the debut quite quite well.
1: Your your club side was Birmingham City Ladies at the time, and and many of mm. the players from that were playing alongside you. There was Alex Scott, Rachel Yankee, as you, you've mentioned Karen Carney, Anya Luko as well.
0: Yeah, it, it was funny because that it was around that kind of time where it almost seemed to rotate around which clubs had a bit of money, and right. uh, and obviously that season Birmingham had you know a decent bit of money and uh, and sort of like almost cherry picked the, the players that um, that they wanted. So yeah, we had a we had a fantastic team at, at
1: Birmingham as well. On on the England front, the Algarve Cup was next, where England had some some good results, beating Portugal and Mexico, and, and by all accounts lost to. We'd lost to China on penalties, uh, I think yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, do you know,
0: China were really up there. I think they were like second or third in the world at that time. So a nil-nil draw against them was a really good result for us. And, yeah, I remember the penalties because I think uh, I didn't save any of the five. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got close to them, I'm
0: sure. Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Scotland and Norway were up next before the, the Euros. And, and you got player of the match by all accounts against Norway.
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember that quite well. In fact, I'm looking at my uh, my player of the match champagne is uh, is on my shelf. It's been ah. drunk, but um, <laughs> I yeah. was going to say, uh, do
1: I, they I, get drunk was... these um, magnums? Yeah, do you know
0: what? I, I I'd saved it. I didn't drink it on the evening of the game, and and do you know what? The funny thing was as well. I was desperate to um, swap goalkeeper shirts with uh, with the number one from Norway, and her name escapes me at the moment because she was a bit of a legend at the time. And because oh. I'd got player of the match, I was like whisked off to do all the interviews and stuff. So I never, uh, I never managed to do it. Oh, uh, but shame. no. Um, weirdly, i uh, i I went to um, I went to the military academy at Sandhurst not long after the Euros, actually, and. Uh, we, uh, we opened the bottle of champagne one night uh, after we'd come back from exercise with my platoon. So <laughs> that was quite nice.
1: Oh, wow. Great stuff. You were in the squad and mm. what you, you'd obviously mm. played your, um, what's that, six games prior to that. So you must have felt like I'm, I've got a real good chance of starting because Rachel Brown <laughs> yeah. was your, your opposition, wasn't she? Yes, yeah, she was, term. yeah.
0: Yeah, I was pretty confident that I was um, gonna. I mean, I didn't really feel like there was any way they could leave me out because I played so well, um, and obviously we hadn't lost any games in that run-up. So yeah, going into it, I was I was pretty happy that I was going to play, and I think I was obviously given the number one squad number as well. So so yeah, um, yeah, I, I would have been surprised. I probably would have been a bit upset if I hadn't played.
1: <laughs> so the first game of the Euros uh, was Finland. Um, and it was played up at um, the city, or what was then known as the uh, the city of Manchester Stadium. And uh, England got off to a, a great start, winning three two in front of a it was a real bumper crowd, twenty nine thousand there.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was it was really good. You know, for our first game to have that size of crowd, and uh, and I think I think we entertained the fans maybe a little bit too much for our own liking because uh, we probably should have beaten Finland by a little bit more, but. Um, I don't think I didn't have the best game, and I think Karen Carney kind of saved the day for us with a bit of a last-minute winner.
1: Hope Powell was in charge back then. What, what do you remember of of her sort of pre-match and, and pre-tournament? Um,
0: not like massive amounts. When it, before I went to the US, Ted Copeland was in charge, so I kind of, you know, sort of initially been in the squads under him, and then obviously when I came back, Hope was was there. I mean, she's uh, she's quite relaxed. She You know, there's no kind of like Alex Ferguson sort of treatment or anything like that. She's quite a, what's the word? She kind of thinks about what she's going to say before she says it. So she's sort of quite gathered and, you know, uh, kind of quite tactical, I guess I would say.
1: I see. So Denmark were also in our our group. Um, In fact, it was was quite a... um, Scandinavian feel to the group Finland Denmark and Sweden uh, and ourselves but but Denmark were next and you moved on to Blackburn and Ewood Park what do you remember about that one
0: yeah, it's really disappointing game. I mean, we we obviously would have been expecting to pick up another three points um, in that game, especially with with Sweden being the final game in our group because they were definitely the the sort of tougher opponents, and they were a real powerhouse in the world at that time as well. I mean, they were like you know in the top three or four uh, ranked teams um, worldwide. So yeah, we would have uh, we would have been expecting to you know pick up the points. And I do I remember. Um, I remember their first goal was a free kick from the edge of the area, and uh, and I've seen a few photos of it afterwards. But yeah, it was uh, it was pretty unstoppable. I think it clipped the underside of the crossbar right in the right in the corner and went in. And then they had a quite a a late uh, a late winner as well, which uh, which I <laughs> remember really well. It was a cross and a header, and uh, again, pretty pretty unstoppable. So um, I think I played much better in that in that one than the than the Finland one. But yeah, it was it was really disappointing. And then we were really up against it, uh, going into needing to pick up points against Sweden in the final group game.
1: Yeah. That Denmark game turned out to be your last cap for England, I believe, because the next mm. game against Sweden, you were replaced by by Rachel Brown. What do you know what the, the thinking was behind that? And- uh-
0: so, so, I've seen, uh, I've seen an excerpt from Hope's book that said about me being injured. Right. But in reality, um, that, that that decision was made after the Finland game. Right. So I remember, Hope kind of like pulling us aside, and yeah, like I said, I, I I didn't have the best game. Like it wasn't a disaster, but it wasn't on par with you know my previous sort of run in uh to the tournament and uh, and hope had said after that game right you'll pl- you'll play denmark and and Rachel will play Sweden, so I was a little bit miffed because I was thinking well, what what happens if I you know play against Denmark and like you know pull off a the best game ever that still yeah. means I'm not gonna play in the final game so um yeah, so I was really, really disappointed, you know having that run in unbeaten, playing amazingly well for my country, and then you know to be told I wasn't going to play the the final game.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, and like you said, that was oh, sorry to interrupt, Russ. That's right. No, um, go on, you carry on. No, I was just going to say, and uh, yeah, obviously you're right. That was my last game. I um, I went Sandhurst. Not not so long, kind of after that, and I think started in the September at Sandhurst, and and then kind of uh, had a had a different career, and you know, combining that with football at that time was was really really difficult. Um, so yeah, that was that kind of. It wasn't my intention to end my England career then, but it just sort of ended up being as the way it sort of panned
1: out. I see. So the, the the Sweden game England lost and and were out of the tournament. Was there sort of a a healthy relationship for for the place with you and Rachel Brown?
0: Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, there was with you know, with all the goalkeepers. And I think, um I think that's, that's always the case. We always have a bit of a goalkeepers union. So yeah. yeah, you know, certainly no bad feeling towards Rachel at all. And um yeah, it's just, it was one of those things.
1: Obviously going out then to Sweden, what, what was the feeling within the, the camp then? Was it, it must've been of disappointment thinking you could have, should have done better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, really disappointed and, you know, we should have picked up our points against Denmark and, you know, really been kind of safe by the time we got to the Sweden game. So, yeah, I think almost like a little bit of disbelief, really, um, you know, that we hadn't qualified and there was that expectation on us that really, you know, kind of minimum, um, minimum result would have been the quarterfinals if not further than that, really. So, yeah, it was. And we had, uh, I think I'm right in saying that we had Sweden and Germany in the same hotel as us. Oh, right. Um, but I don't know if that would happen now. It probably wouldn't. But it's weird, the things that kind of stand out because you'd think it'd be the football bits that you'd remember more. But I, I remember two things. One of them was uh, that the Swedes were always out sunbathing. and right. uh, <laughs> Because it was the summer, I mean, not the hottest up in the northwest, but yeah, the Swedes would be out sunbathing and we were always told we weren't allowed in the sun and we had to stay in the shade because to make sure we were rehydrated and stuff. Yeah. And then the other thing I remember is, um, I think this was around the time when England just started having their own chefs and stuff, right? Uh, rather than just sort of eating the general hotel food. But I remember the Germans having uh, steak and chips one night. And uh, us all kind of looking at them, and you know we had our like dry chicken and <laughs> and stuff, being a bit jealous of the Germans and the Swedes out sunbathing. So Ugh. yeah, it's a weird couple of things I remembered from the tournament.
1: Well, fast forward to where we are now, twenty twenty two. You'll understand <laughs> what the England team, or the Lionesses, as they're more commonly known as now, will be going through. What do you what do you think for the uh, the Euros coming up?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's fantastic to have it uh, in England again. It gives all the fans that opportunity to come out and see how much I think that England have progressed over the last what, 15, 17 years or however many years it's been since 2005. My maths isn't off, that good off the top of my head. And, and you know, the players have come on uh, dramatically. We were still sort of part time Uh, back then and obviously they're all full-time pros now and the fitness levels have increased hugely and the skill levels have increased and and I think they'll go out there and enjoy it you know they've had a good uh, a good run uh, behind them they've had you know less pressure I think now because they have had some decent results in tournaments you know sort of coming up to this point so they can go out there and enjoy it and they know they're capable of winning games and probably winning it overall.
1: Is that what you think we can win this?
0: Do you know what? I think in tournaments, you've always got that that chance. And I think the, the gap between the top, top teams and the teams a little bit further down isn't as much as it used to be. Like going back to 2005, like if you beat the US, that would have been like, you know, something historic. Yeah. But now you expect to go into the game against the US and like, stand your own and you know have as much just as much chance of winning those games as as they do so yeah european wise uh, i think england will think they can beat anyone on their day
1: well let's hope so thank you very much for for joining us and and taking time uh, to speak to us and, and sharing some of your memories
0: ah, no problem at all thanks for inviting me 2009 finland
1: After two disappointments in a row, falling at the group stage, England had to make progress this time. Finland was the destination of the finals, but England had to get there first. Pitched in alongside Spain, Czech Republic, Belarus and Northern Ireland in Group 1. England won six and drew two, finishing top. Now The finals had 12 teams and they were split between three groups. The top two from each group automatically make in the quarterfinals, and then the best two third-place teams. Group C featured Sweden, Italy, England and Russia. England really had a poor group stage, but it's all about getting through. They lost initially to Italy 2-1, then beat Russia 3-2, then drew one all with Sweden. They finished in third place. They had to hope they would be one of the best third-place sides. With four points registered, goals scored five, goals conceded five, they were the best third-place team. Norway went through also with four points. Denmark would miss out. The knockout stage, the quarterfinals, England were drawn against hosts, Finland, who had won their group in front of some bumper crowds. This time, with 7,000 in attendance, England silenced them early with an Eni Aluko goal. Farrell Williams made it 2-0. Finland replied, only for Aluko to get another. England progressed with a 3-2 victory to make the semi-finals. The Netherlands would be their opponents, who had finished behind Finland in their group. Just past the hour mark, Kelly Smith scored only for the Dutch to peg them back immediately. The game would go to extra time, where Jill Scott scored to put England into the final for the first time since 1984. Serial winners Germany would be waiting, and they were too hard a side to beat. They'd scored 15 and only conceded 3 on their route to the final, and they won their 7th title, with a convincing 6-2 victory. Karen Carney and Kelly Smith, both scoring for England.
2: 2013 Sweden
1: Sweden were hosts for the 11th edition of the tournament. By now, the game was growing in England, and the fact the Lionesses as they were now being referred to, had made it to the previous final, there would be something wrong if they didn't get through the qualification process. 38 teams were spread across seven groups, all looking for one of the 12 final spots. England were in Group 6 with the Netherlands, Serbia, Slovenia and Croatia. They topped it with six wins and two draws, just ahead of the Netherlands who finished second with six wins, a draw and a loss. They would go on to also qualify as best runner-up. With qualification in the bag, confidence high, that would be shattered as they got to Sweden. As once again, they finished bottom of the group, losing to Spain and France and only drawing with Russia. Three minutes of added time. are the rest is at the referee's discretion. And the other score to the got The goalkeeper has
3: not gone there. It's got the lead. Is it going to count? And the goal is going to stand in for Keller. Incredible. This time, surely, it will be the winner.
1: England have performed it quickly. twice before ball and that this time, there is no time left. Win for England and they go through the beats, and they're out. Only it's a draw as it begins to get more complicated with a number of possible permutations. Please, come on, come on, towards Renard, three. <laughs> Windy again. good it the game. Met for that against Spain and Mottets With the goal that surely finishes off England. They came home early and manager Hope Powell was sacked shortly afterwards.
2: 2017, the Netherlands.
1: The last Women's European Championships was held well in advance of the pandemic. It saw the Netherlands host it. This ahead of interest from the likes of Scotland, Austria, France, Israel, Poland, and Switzerland. 40 nations competed for the now larger, expanded 16-team tournament. England, now managed by Mark Sampson, topped Group 7 after seven wins and one draw. This in a group that included Belgium, Serbia, Bosnia and Herzegovina and Estonia. They would register 32 goals with one against. In fact... They beat Serbia 7-0, both home and away. Much like the men's team, the women, they have no problem with their qualifying campaigns. The Netherlands was calling. Along with Spain, Scotland and Portugal, they were all drawn in England's group, Group D. And it would be the first time England had met Scotland in a Euros tournament, or indeed any international tournament although that would change as they met again at the 2019 World Cup. This first meeting would see England run out 6-0 winners and in doing so made history as no one had won by a margin of 6 in the women's competition before. Jodie Taylor scored a 43-minute hat-trick as she went on to claim the top goal scorer award in the competition. Amazingly, she hadn't played any part in qualifying Ellen White Jordan Nobbs and Tony Duggan would get the other three goals there were victories over Spain and Portugal as England topped their tournament group for the first time and it's a wonderful finish and it's England who take the lead just 90 seconds played and beautifully finished by Frank Kirby Plenty of blue shirts forward in this attack lovely ball through jody taylor to seal it and surely that is that it is jody taylor again the full-time whistle goes it's the first time england have won their opening two matches in a major tournament they've beaten spain 2-0 to Bodice, the portuguese goalkeeper wrote, it's a terrible mistake it's given to tony duggan and england have the lead just six minutes played and on her 50th appearance for England, she scores her 17th goal. Ball over the top. Trying to bulldoze her way through, which she does. And England retake the lead. Just two and a half minutes into the second half. And it's Nikita Paris who scored it. It's finished 2-1. France were next in the quarter-finals. Another Jodie Taylor goal. The only one of the game saw England make the semi-finals and a meeting with hosts, the Netherlands, who were managed by a certain Serena Weigmann. They were too strong and ran out 3-0 victors and would go on to take the trophy for the first time, beating Denmark in the final 4-2. So England's history at the Euros is now up to date. It's been a bit of a mishmash over the years. Failed qualification, falling at the first group hurdle, eliminated at the semi-finals, or being losing finalists. Perhaps this time will be their year. Whilst it hasn't seemed to help in the past, perhaps home advantage will now play its part. Back on the 3rd of December 2018, England were announced as hosting the tournament, so qualification for it hasn't been necessary. But even with the Covid disruption, they have managed to play a fair amount of matches in the lead up to it. Mainly helped by the World Cup qualifying matches and the home-based Arnold Clark Cup. And winning that could turn out to be the perfect tonic. Many thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed it. Again, Thank you to both Jill Coulthard and Joe Fletcher for their memories. Don't forget the podcast can be found on all the usual social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and also YouTube. Why not tell your friends, spread the word. Hopefully, I'll be able to put together an episode that celebrates a win for our Lionesses come Sunday the 31st of July. Until then, take care. Cheers.